3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It is 7am and today is Tuesday, the 15th of November, 2022. My name is Fung and in the studio with me today, we've got Carnegie, Jasmine and Ivka. Good morning, everyone. Morning. 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 (laughs) Oh, that was very cute. (laughs) Uh, How is everyone this morning or this week? Quite well. Um, Yeah. How are you guys? How are you, Jasmine? You're good. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just enjoying my freedom. Yeah. Does it feel weird now that you finish uni and you're like, I have to do things and then you you tell yourself, no, actually, I, I don't. Yeah, like I'd rather just chill out. But it's interesting because while I was studying, we had several weeks of beautiful sun-baking weather. <laughs> and now it's raining. Here we are, yeah. Yeah. Classic. I keep Symbolism. forgetting that it's really cold outside. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, it's like mild. And then you walk outside and you're like, no, it's nine degrees outside. Mm. It's freezing. I see. Um, I do want to say that on the weekend I was out and I was talking to someone and talking about you know 3CR and the person was like oh I think I've heard your voice on the radio my partner you know tunes in in the morning and I was like I felt famous no (laughs) um anyway shout out to Bridget if you're listening this morning thank you for tuning into 3CR breakfast that's very sweet yeah I love that. I would love to run into a listener in the wild. I wouldn't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And recognize you from your voice. Like, how special that that I feel like that could never happen. (laughs) You never know. Um, If there are any fans out there who want to say hi to Carnegie (laughs) outside of the studio, please please do. Feel free, guys. (laughs) Okay, what have we got coming up on today's show, Carnegie? Um, So we're starting off with an interview with um, a feminist artist, Kate Robinson, who we've had on the show before. Um, And Kate's going to talk to us about a new um, end-of-year salon exhibition at the Queen Victoria Women's Centre featuring feminist artworks. Um, And then after that, at 7.30, we're going to be speaking with... Uh, an academic from the Monash Business School called Dominique Allen, who has co-authored a report on um, pregnancy discrimination in the workplace. That would be really interesting. At around 7.45, we'll be speaking with Karen Fletcher from Flat Out, which is an advocacy and support service for women, trans and gender diverse people and their children who have experienced criminalisation. And Karen's going to be on the show this morning to talk to us about housing insecurity and how that further um, traps women in in the cycle of, of violence and criminalisation. At 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by Sasha from Queering the Air. 
Uh, she'll be coming into the studio this morning to speak to us about Transgender Awareness Week, which is which ha- um, started on the 13th of November and is running until the 19th of November. And she'll be on the show to talk to us about the various um, events that are happening this week and and what Transgender Awareness Week actually means and represents. And then last up on the show, we'll be playing for you um, an excerpt from the Indigenous Peoples Caucus, which took place at COP27. Um, So that should be a really great way to finish today's show. Sounds great. Yeah, sounds awesome. Uh, Dare I say jam-packed show? No, you you did. (laughs) Sorry, I did it. Okay, we'll be right back with the news headlines right after this message. There are now 189 people on hunger strike. 62 have sewn their lips together, including two women and five children. For Woomera, this isn't an unusual day. We have an old saying in Persia that says, there is no darker colour than black. So we were in the camp, we have two options. Are they deporting us to back to persecution, to prison, to death, or die in the camp? Well, I think you guys give us a third option, which is another try. They bent like half-cooked spaghetti. We didn't expect it to happen like that, to the soundtrack of Amelie, a popular French movie at the time, blowing across the desert from dusty speakers. The fence began to fall, under the weight of people wanting justice, under the weight of people that had had enough. Join us for Woomera Stories on Monday, November 21st and November 28th at 6pm on 3CR. Already they've set up camp only 200 metres from the Woomera Detention Centre's main gate. You don't need a reason to vote early in this month's state election. Early voting centres are now open. To find your nearest voting centre, visit vec.vic.gov.au or call 131-832. Your vote will help shape Victoria. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. Here are the news headlines for today. Reports of up to 1,400 protesters are being sentenced to death in Iran. Uh, Tina Yazdani has reported an estimated 14,000 innocent protesters fighting for basic freedoms are facing the death penalty in Iran, mostly teens, young adults, students, lawyers, journalists and civil society activists. This is a mass execution. Um, I went to an Iran protest this weekend and it was one of the most incredibly inspiring spaces I've ever been in. I've I've never seen that much. Um, You know, there, there was this like very... Uh, like intense mix of um, hope and, um, you know, just distress. I think usually at protests and rallies, um, you feel a bit more of one of those two. And there was this like really intense mix of both. And you could just feel how much, um, you know, the Iranian diaspora wanted this revolution and wanted the change and they wanted the regime to change and I just yeah I encourage all our listeners to keep an eye out for more protests happening they happen nearly every weekend um one way to do this is by following an Instagram account called Melbourne for Iran 
Um, and yeah, definitely try and attend and support the Iranian diaspora in what they're fighting for at the moment. In other news, uh, the Queensland police have apologised for sickening racist comments in leaked audio recordings. Uh, they were published on Sunday and they include officers at the Brisbane City Watchhouse joking about beating and burying black people, complaining, you've got to be embarrassed about being white and raising fears that Australia will be taken over. This is one of the many troubling and incredibly distressing reports coming out of um, the Queensland Police or Flayed and the General Police in Australia. Um, and while they have apologised, this is definitely not the first instance and it indicates that this is a much, much bigger cultural issue. Here at 3CR, obviously, we are pro-abolition um, and anti-police. So this is just another um, reason to support that. And finally, you would have heard a message about this just before, but early voting for the state election has opened. It's open from Monday 14th of November until Friday 25th of November. Uh, you don't need a reason to vote early, and um, you can go on the Victorian Electoral Commission website to find out your um, closest voting centre, early voting centre, and the opening hours. Um, you can also participate in postal voting and um, applications close at 6pm on Wednesday the 23rd of November um, and uh, actual the actual election day is on Saturday the 26th of November and voting centres around the state will be open from 8am to 6pm. Just a note for people who may be voting outside of their district, um, it might take a bit longer. Uh, next up, we're going to play you a song. Um, I actually went to the first live show for this band called RUB, or Rub, uh, this weekend. It's um, the led by two incredible women um, who play punk that's incredibly cathartic. And, um, yeah, like, def the, the, so the show was sold out immediately, so definitely recommend... Um, checking them out if you're into punk um just a language warning um there is some um language in this song so if that bothers you please come back in about a minute and a half this song is called nice Talk to me. 
So that was the song Nice by Rob. Um, you can follow them on Instagram. We will link to them in our show notes later today. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Three CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings, cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. If you or someone you know need help voting in this month's state election, you can ask a family member, carer, or one of our VEC election staff to help you complete your ballot papers. There's language assistance too. If you are blind, have low vision, or a physical disability and need help to vote, you can vote by telephone. For more information, visit vec.vic.gov.au or call 131-832. Your vote will help shape Victoria. Authorised by W. Gately, Electoral Commissioner, 530 Collins Street, Melbourne, Victoria. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Women Now is the Queen Victoria Women's Centre end-of-year salon exhibition featuring feminist artworks by more than 50 artists, designers and makers. Joining us this morning is Kate Robinson, who is one of the artists featured in the exhibition, as well as a board member at QVWC. Welcome to the show, Kate. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell us about Women Now. How did this exhibition come about? Yeah, Women Now is a really cool exhibition because I think... Um, I just am so excited to see all the different works that, as you said, the 50 different artists and creators have made. Um, so it's been um, curated by Jenny Huang, who's from um, the Queen Vic Women's Centre shop team. Um, and there's been a bunch of different people involved in the centre who've been working really hard to put together um, this compilation of works. Um, and essentially they put out a call out um, to the public um, and asked uh, people and creatives to, I guess, think about the present moment and, as you said, like, think about the ways in which, I guess, women right now um, want to hold space, be seen, be heard, be valued equally and to create work that reflects that. Um, and so the exhibition that's opening today and is on at the centre really reflects, I guess, the diversity of that experience um, in all the different things that women have created. That sounds incredible. Are there any um, main themes that have come up in the artworks? Um, I guess when I've looked at kind of the artworks, there's all kinds of different works. So there's things, um, you know, that think about... Um, 
like women in politics, for example, there's a piece that is uh, kind of like a paper jacket uh, that has all of the words of Julia Gillard's misogyny speech on it, um, which I really like. There are, um, you know, really delicate embroidery pieces. Um, there's one that's about holding space um, and kind of thinking about the power of women's craft um, and you know, kind of women's artistic practice over time and, and what that means. Um, there's one that's like this awesome digital print that um, is on this big piece of fabric that is like really reflected by Betty Musgrove that um, uh, includes like a young picture of Bjork before she was famous and it's kind of about the artist reflecting on the impact that, I guess, Bjork has had on her own creative practice Um so all kinds of different things have been reflected. And I guess for me, when I was creating, I um, created a piece or three portraits, actually, um, that are all thinking about what's going on in Iran at the moment. Amazing. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I guess um, for me, like I'm Persian um, and Australian and um as 3CR has often been talking about, there's obviously a revolution going on in Iran at the moment um, that is, you know, predominantly women and youth-led, um, which is something that's so unique. And I guess for me, when I was sitting down and thinking about what it means for me to be a woman now, that was all I could create about. And so I recently spent some time... Um, with my aunt overseas and part of spending that time together was really thinking about, you know, their experience um, of immigration in America and their experience, um, I guess, in Iran pre-1979 and pre-revolution and part of, I guess, talking about those things with them was them sharing a lot of old photos that they had um, and so I guess the three portraits that, I've, portraits that I've created are all based on photographs that um, my aunt shared with me um, because I guess for me it's important to think about, like, kind of where we've come, who gives us strength and how we use that moving forward. Um, and Iran is all I can think about, so it makes so much sense that that's what I would create about. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like, you know, art um, has helped you kind of connect to that side of your identity and connect with Iran, um, you know, being so far away and being a little bit removed from what's going on there obviously can't be easy when it's such a massive revolution. Um, so has art, can you talk about how art has helped you in that space? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been um, so incredible because this revolution that started as a protest, you know, has these, like, core tenets, like women, life, freedom, Zan, Zendegi, Azadi. And I think it's been such a community kind of ground of support. Even in Melbourne, you know, if you go to a protest, they're on every week. You see familiar faces being led by women. And I guess um, there has been so much stuff on social media that has felt really meaningful. That is people creating art 
to process what's going on because I think it's really difficult because as someone who's Persian but not in Iran, um, you can feel really disconnected and feel really sad and there's a sense of loss that comes, I guess, from not being there, not being on the streets, not being able to like physically do something with your body. And so I guess what can you physically do with your body but sit down and reflect and make work and um, part of that is about for me is creating art and there's been so much art that's been created um, as part of this movement and I think it really comes from the fact that the Islamic Republic regime so often tries to silence creatives and like that's the first to go essentially and they have been actively imprisoning um, artists singers, poets, rappers, um, to silence their voices. And I guess it's about saying, like, no, you can't silence us. Art won't be silenced. Um, won't be silenced at all. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's incredibly powerful. Um, you know, there was a rapper recently who was killed for speaking out and at the last protest they had an artist on stage painting a portrait of him throughout um, which I thought was incredibly powerful as well and a way to you know use art to speak and to to say that you know we won't be silenced. Absolutely and I think like you know sometimes when I not the Iran protest that I've been going to but when I've gone to protest in the past like you know, you're so far from the stage, you can't hear the speakers, you can't hear what's going on. So often politicians speak, and to be honest, I'm not interested in hearing what they have to say. Like, so I think what's been super cool about these protests that have been going on in Melbourne and that have been going on worldwide is that I think people have really been thinking about creative ways to about what a protest is and, like, how to bring community forward and things like that example of having someone paint art, having people perform traditional, you know, like Persian music, having people perform rap, poetry, all of this kind of thing that are like the core things to what it means to be Persian is just so much more meaningful to me, um, I think. And so that's been, I guess, incredibly community building from my perspective. Absolutely. And I love that you're bringing that energy to um, this exhibition at QVWC. Um, can you tell us about, you know, uh, why it's important to have exhibitions like this for women by women? Yeah, absolutely. I think, to be perfectly honest, it's really hard um, to get your work exhibited and to get your um, work exhibited in a really, like, fun, supportive, easy, professional way. And I think... Um, so for one, for one thing, it's amazing to support artists. And I think, you know, many of the artworks are going to be for sale, and which is also a lovely way that you can support pe people creating work. I think it's also important, like, unfortunately, it's always going to be important to hear, um, you know, the most pressing activist voices from women, uh, because there's always something that... Um, we're going to want to change and build towards. And I think um, it's just creating an incredible space to hear those voices in really interesting ways. Um, it's on at the centre at the moment. It opens today um, on the 15th of November and it's on until the 13th of January. Um, so I really encourage people to go up and check it out and just like be in the space and like spend time with all of the work. 
definitely and definitely and you know you do have plenty of time to check it out um and there's going to be creative craft workshops as well as a part of this is that right yeah absolutely so on the um 10th of december there is a couple of workshops on at the center so um with creating work basically that's inspired by the exhibition and led by artists who are involved in the exhibition as well um so i really recommend people check those out as well it'll be so much fun (laughs) amazing um that's all we have time for this morning kate but thank you so much for joining us and i really appreciate the insights especially on your connection um with art through what's happening in iran at the moment thank you so much for having me so that was kate robinson who is a feminist artist um who is one of the artists showing at Women Now at QVWC. Uh, Definitely check that exhibition out. Opens today. We will link to the address um, and to various socials you can follow to keep up with it um, in our show notes later today. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Salt titled Wildflowers. So Salt are a British music collective that make up a mixture of R&B, house and disco. And this track is from their 2020 album Black Is.
rap jazz. The Milky Way looks good in the night skies. The stars open a shirt for my dark eyes. Hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. I'm dreaming of the seven moons. Oh, I see what's And that was Wildfires by Salt. A pilot study by the Monash Business School has found that pregnant women continue to face a wide range of discrimination detrimental to their job security and careers. The findings are published in the report Understanding Pregnancy Discrimination. Lead author, Associate Professor Dominique Allen, a socio-legal scholar researching anti-discrimination law and equality at Monash University, joins us on the show this morning to talk about the disturbing snapshot of women's experiences of pregnancy discrimination at work explored in the report. Welcome to the show, Dominique. Thanks very much for having me. So can you tell us what the main aim of this research is? The main aim of the research was to find out what women are experiencing at work um, and to get some more information about how pregnancy discrimination manifests itself, what kind of things they're experiencing, and also to find out what, if anything, they do about it. Most of this information is hidden um, because very few claims go through to court, so we don't know what happens behind closed doors, the things other women don't make complaints about pregnancy discrimination or they settle them. So we just have this real gap in knowledge and understanding about what's taking place. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you did get the data? Yeah, we're really fortunate. We worked with JobWatch, which is a community legal centre um, based in Melbourne but advises people from other states. And um, JobWatch were able to give us data about um, women who call its telephone advice service and want information about what's happened to them at work. So they gave us a lot of um, statistical demographic data about these women, um, you know, the industry they're working in, how long they've been working there, that kind of thing. And then JobWatch also prepared some case studies for us. We had 42 of them and they were all de-identified. They're not all anonymous, but they profiled the types of encounters women were having at work when they were pregnant, um, what happened to them and what they a little bit about what they did about it. And then we were also able to interview um, four women who'd contacted JobWatch and got some advice. And from that, we were able to really dig down and, and speak to them um, about their experience and what took place. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, it is, not, it's, it is quite difficult to get this information and to really know what does go on. Um, you know, what did you learn from the interviews in particular? Um, I, I suppose a couple of things. We learned that often women, um, they just want small adjustments to be made so that they can continue to work. Um, it might be that they're not able to lift a certain amount of things or you know, be exposed to different chemicals or substances or they just need small changes made so that they continue working. And those things can change during the pregnancy depending on their health, the baby's health, the pregnancy and all of those things. And they'll often have medical certificates and justifications for doing that, but they're getting a lot of resistance from their employer about making those changes. Um, so that was a real, a real stumbling block for them. And rather than making a complaint causing any problems, they were just putting up these things and sort of working around them until 
they have their baby and, um, you know, they go off and go and leave and they may or may not come back. So even though they've got these entitlements, they're struggling to be able to access them and use them, which was um, kind of distressing to find out about. Yeah, it sounds like there's more of like a cultural um, kind of barrier to wanting to make these adjustments for women. Did you find that was true? Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's probably fair to say. And in Victoria, there's no requirement to do so. We have to make adjustments for people with family responsibilities or caring responsibilities, but not earlier when they're actually pregnant just under anti-discrimination laws. So it seemed to us to be quite a gap that we wouldn't also have that obligation to make those arrangements, to make those temporary changes so that women can continue to work. Yeah, and I, I imagine that, um, you know, the repercussions would be uh, going into every facet of women's lives. There would be financial repercussions. Um, you know, there would be mental health repercussions, physical health repercussions. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the findings uh, around this? Um, yeah, we didn't look at that um, specifically, but I suppose, that's, yeah, that's fair to say if women... I mean, that's one of the reasons they're putting up with these things or finding ways to work around it because they want to continue in their employment so that they can get access to any form of paid or unpaid leave or an entitlement to return to their job once they've had their baby. So doing anything more about it, you're right, is certainly going to have financial repercussions for them. Also, legal action, if they do that, is expensive. Um, It can also be very drawn out and it can have emotional um, effects as well, you know, it's, it can, it's a very stressful period. So there are a lot of reasons women choose to walk away or work around it um, in these situations. You mentioned, um, you know, legal action. Uh, is this something women have done? And if so, um, what what other what what happens? Um, women certainly have, um, but there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of discrimination cases generally, but certainly not a lot of pregnancy discrimination cases. So. In Victoria, there's been one in the last five years that's been heard by a tribunal. That's not to say women aren't making the complaints, but they're either withdrawing them or settling them before they reach court. Um, so if they do take a complaint further and they do go to court and they're successful, um, the most likely um, outcome that they'll get is compensation for any job loss, lost wages, lost entitlements and those things. They might get some compensation for any hurt or distress that they've experienced as well. So it sounds like, you know, at every kind of juncture, there's not much support um, for these women. Um, you know, will this is a pilot report. Um, you know, will it lead to further research in this area? Um, we hope it will, yeah. We hope to be able to expand on it um, and either look more generally at the sex discrimination claims women are bringing or to look at it in other states and territories um, and gather more information, particularly from the women themselves. It, it, it was really um, informative. It's it, hard to be able to speak to people who've made complaints for various reasons and to be able to do that and have hear from them directly was really valuable for us and we hope we'll be able to do that in the future with other studies. Does the report examine if the discrimination is worse for certain groups of um, women like um, same-sex couples or um, women of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander descent or women of colour? It doesn't because we didn't have access to any of that data. Mm. Um, so we don't have any... Apart from age and the kind of industries women were working in, um, we didn't have any data on that, so we're not able to pull that information. But it would be interesting to do that. Yeah, that uh, I was just going to ask if you know it will. That is something that you would like to explore in future research. Yeah, 
Yeah. Absolutely. It's just getting access to that information. So if a woman puts in a complaint about discrimination at one of the Equal Opportunity Commissions or the Australian Human Rights Commission, often that information isn't collected. So we're really great to know more about that and be able to look at the intersectionality with sex on um, you know, how it intersects with other attributes like race or age or disability. But often that information isn't collected, so it's not possible. But, yeah, it would be great to be able to do that and have access to more data. Yeah, definitely. Um, were there any particular findings um, that were surprising? Um, probably sadly no, um, except except the one I mentioned before, the resistance to having small adjustments made. I was surprised, quite surprised at that and the number of women. Um, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. Particularly the interviewees we'd spoken to who sort of said, I tried and tried to... To, to have some changes made. I wanted to keep working and it, it just got so hard for them and I found that really distressing hearing from it later, hearing about it later, that they weren't able to negotiate small changes and that what was such a wonderful time in their life had all that added stress that wasn't needed. Yeah, certainly. Um, what would you, if, if we have any listeners who are in this position and are looking at um, something you know, to do about it, what would you recommend? Well, one of their options would be to call JobWatch and have them get some information from it about their entitlement. Um, otherwise, the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission and the Australian Human Rights Commission also provide information about um, people's entitlements and their rights and things like that. So it'd be worth contacting them and, and finding out what can be done about the situation. Great. And is the report available for people to read? Yes, it is. It's available on um, the website able to download and read. Fantastic. We will uh, link to that report in our show notes later today. Um, that's all we have time for this morning, Dominique, but thank you so much for joining us and talking to us through the findings of this report. Thanks very much for having me. It's been lovely. So that was Associate Professor Dominique Allen talking to us about the findings in a new report by the Monash Business School and Job Watch about discrimination pregnant women face in the workplace. We will, of course, link to it later in our show notes. You're listening to 3CR. We'll be back with a song right after this message. Nam Melbourne Slut Walk is once again taking to the streets in the fight against victim blaming and slut shame. In the past year, we have seen how deeply still rape culture is ingrained in our highest institutions, from the media to federal government. This cannot be tolerated. To take a stand, join the 2022 Slut Walk at 1pm on the 19th of November outside the Victorian State Library. Slut Walk is a 3CR supporter. Community Radio, 855am. Next up, we're going to play you a track called Look Around. Uh, This one's by Danielle Ponder and Karate Boogaloo. So New York singer and activist Danielle Ponder has paired up with Melbourne's cinematic soul outfit Karate Boogaloo for Look Around, um, and this one was released in 2020.
Look Around by Danielle Ponder and Karate Boogaloo. Karen Fletcher is an activist with the Homes Not Prisons campaign, as well as the executive officer at Flat Out, a statewide advocacy and support service for women, trans and gender diverse people and their children who have experienced criminalisation. 
Karen joins us this morning to talk about the lack of safe and secure housing provided for women who have been through the criminal system and the importance of funding public resources. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Karen. Good morning. Great to be here. For our listeners out there who aren't familiar with Flat Out, could you tell us more about the work that you do there? Yes, so Flat Out is, as you said, a, a um, statewide support and advocacy service for women, trans and gender diverse people. And our goal is to support and advocate for folks to get out and stay out of prison. We've been operating for about 34 years, uh, so quite a long time. Uh, and we, our origins are in um, uh, a group called Women Against Prison, who... Um, worked with women at Fairley Prison and campaigned against the privatisation of the women's prison at Deer Park. Um, so we have a long history of uh, making a critique of prison as an institution, especially for women and trans and gender diverse people and especially uh, for First Nations people. At the Fitzroy Legal Discussion Evening, Women's Lived Experience in Decarceration and Carceral Resistance, which uh, took place a few weeks now, you explained the challenges that criminalised women face securing safe housing. Can you tell us more about this? Yeah, well, look, it's always been an issue uh, for all people leaving prison to secure housing. Um, Most people who end up in the prison system are already... uh, usually coming from a, a background of poverty and, and deprivation. Uh, many are homeless when they come into prison and their homelessness is often related to why they're imprisoned. Um, and for women, there are particular issues uh, getting housing for, for a lot of gender reasons, but uh, one in particular is that the majority of women who are imprisoned and criminalised are mothers of children. So they're looking for accommodation that, that, that can also accommodate children. And a lot of the sort of homelessness sector is geared to single homeless uh, people. Uh, so it, it's often hard to find housing for women. But we've in a, we're in a particular crisis at the moment in Victoria uh, because of the sheer volume of women who are being imprisoned uh, for very short periods because of the bail laws in Victoria. Um, people are essentially being imprisoned as a first resort rather than a last resort because the way the bail laws have been changed means that um, people are spending uh, time in prison before they're actually sentenced for their offence, waiting for their tri- for their um, day in court. Uh, so the majority of women in the women's prison system at the moment are actually unsentenced. And so we're seeing this huge spike in women being in prison for short periods, mostly for under one month and the vast majority for under three months. And that means that, you know, whereas, say, 20 years ago there was sort of uh, 10, 12 women a week coming out of prison. These days, it's more like, um, you know, 40, 50 women a week coming out of prison. Um, and we've got the, so we've got that issue. And then the other issue, of course, is the housing crisis, which is that private rentals are just about impossible to access for anybody who hasn't got a, um, a good income. And uh, there is a huge waiting list for public housing um, which is really the only kind of suitable housing for people coming out of prison um, because other types like community housing um, and the sort of crisis accommodation and interim accommodation is not suitable for women, especially women with kids. Yeah, you've mentioned a a few really important things just now, Karen. I did just want to talk about 
the the impact that this has on children. You mentioned quite a bit that a lot of the housing support services out there are geared towards single people. Um, can you tell us more about the impact of lack of housing on caregivers and children? Yes, look, it's a serious issue. Um, there is a real emphasis in Victoria on when we think about homelessness uh, on things like rooming houses and an enormous amount of money spent on things like motel rooms for crisis accommodation. And these kinds of accommodations are just not suitable for uh, people who have kids. Um, they need self-contained accommodation with a couple of bedrooms and kitchen facilities and bathroom facilities for kids. And these things are just not um, available in that system, in that um, crisis accommodation. And uh, increasingly, um, uh, you know, three nights in a motel um, is just it's just not suitable. And the outcome is really that uh, people just... Uh, are put back into unsafe situations. So children can stay in state care and residential care um, and out-of-home care just because their mothers are unable to secure accommodation for the family to be reunified. They end up going back into unsafe accommodation, um, you know, couch surfing or unsafe relationships, perhaps relationships where there's been violence uh, in the home just because there's nothing else available and that means that you know we have people sort of returning to um, uh, situations where they're more likely to be criminalised through um, violence and drug use and those sorts of things and that includes their kids um, so just unable to sort of get a, a, a foothold in you know creating a life where they can um, you know parent their kids safely and create a stable life. Yeah, so it sounds like women and their children are trapped in this cycle of of state-sanctioned violence and criminalisation and it seems extremely difficult to be able to escape that cycle and, and leave um, on a long-term basis. A lot of this, these housing... Um, for lack of a better word, I guess like support services or, you know, motels that you were saying are very short-term solutions. Um, are there currently any long-term uh, housing opportunities for, for women? Look, the real long-term housing uh, option that would work for women, especially women with kids, is public housing. And Victoria has the lowest spend on public housing of any Australian jurisdiction and as your listeners probably know the waiting list for public housing is over 10 years 11 years so it's of no use <laughs> uh, to women leaving prison um, to, to have that you know, might as well not be available which is, it isn't available um, and the other thing is that uh, a lot of the folks that are coming out of prison are dealing with uh, issues that mean that they need some support um, to, to deal with things like childhood trauma, uh, recovery and safety from family violence, um, alcohol and other drug use. And those things often actually exclude them from a lot of housing options, particularly community housing options where community housing providers are pretty picky about who they put into their homes and they don't have... Um, much support available. So 
What we're saying is that there needs to be a stock of public housing, which is provided on what's called a housing first basis, which is housing first in terms of people should be able to be housed, even if they do have issues with alcohol and other drugs or mental health issues or disability, um, and then the supports need to be wrapped around that long-term public housing, permanent housing, um, so that we don't have this situation where people are just excluded from housing and sort of condemned to homelessness and criminalisation because they have perhaps an issue with their mental health or alcohol or drug use. Yeah, I think that was one of the main messages that came from the Fitzroy Legal event, um, hearing from Nina, Sarah and other um, women with lived experience, was that there were a lot of um, expectations um, that people were supposed to live up to and adhere to um, and a lot of the time there was a lot of judgment coming from uh, a lot of the housing services um, or, you know, that exchange, like you can have housing but you must do X, Y, Z. Um, and so what you're saying, it sounds like, Karen, is that there needs to be judgment-free um, housing services but also, like you said, opportunities where people can access the support and the help that they need. Um, yeah, look, I think yeah. that's flat out main message. Um, we're dealing, we're, we're trying to find housing for people coming out of prison, but we're also at the moment dealing a lot with people being threatened with eviction because, for example, a violent ex-partner, uh, you know, is coming round to the property and causing damage and, you know, obviously disturbance to the neighbours. And uh, you know, when you've got a, a community housing complex with other people in there, uh, you get neighbourhood complaints and you know, community housing organisations are literally evicting people because they're the, you know, the victim survivors of violence. Um, and, yeah, as you said, folks with lived experience of trying to get out and stay out of prison say that stable accommodation is the factor, and re research shows that that's the case. But there are so many um, obstacles to getting that accommodation and, and as you said, so many... Um, uh, situations where people are discriminated against or, you know, at risk of eviction and are evicted um, because of the challenges that they face in their lives. So to face this head on, we really need to be investing in um, secure, full-time, uh, secure permanent accommodation that does have those sort of um, alcohol and other drugs, mental health, disability and parenting support. And community inclusion um, associated with them so that the approach, as you said, is not about surveillance um, and punishment, but is about support to, to get re-established in the community with a safe home um, so that you can address the other things like getting a job <laughs> and dealing with mental health issues and dealing with alcohol or other drugs. Well, that's all we have time for, Karen. Thank you so much for that. Um, I know that Flat Out has um, a campaign at the moment for people who are able to provide donations um, for Christmas to do so, so donations including presents for children, food and um, and treats and, and other things like that to help spread Christmas cheer. So yeah, thank you so much for mentioning that. It's so important to women uh, who are reuniting with their children to be able to 
have a have a happy Christmas and put some presents under the tree. And money is so tight at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, it would be really appreciated if people could have a look at our Facebook page or our Instagram and have a look at our Christmas um, fundraising campaign. No worries. Well, thanks again for joining us on 3CR Breakfast, Karen. It's been a pleasure speaking to you this morning. Thanks, Fung. That was Karen Fletcher from Flat Out speaking to us about um, the cycle that women are trapped in um, due to the lack of public housing. Uh, for more information, you can visit flatout.org.au um, and make sure you tune into 3CR on Thursday from 12 to 1 p.m. for a special Homes Not Prisons radio series. We're going to go to a track now before our next special interview. Um, this is by June Jones. It's called Motorcycle and it features Gary on.
wish I was a Kawasaki motorcycle Every day I wake up and wish I was a lime green machine Every day I wake up and wish I was a Kawasaki motorcycle Every day I wake up and wish I was a lime green machine Every day I wake up and wish I was a Kawasaki motorcycle Every day I wake up and wish I was a lime green machine So that was uh, June Jones with Motorcycle featuring Gary On. Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Voting for the Music Victoria Awards is now open to the public. With 12 public voted categories and 60 nominees to choose from, this is your chance to vote for your favourite Victorians and go in with a chance to win a prize. Award categories to vote on include Best Group, Song, DJ, Venue, Festival and more. Voting closes Monday 21st of November. For more info on how to vote now, head to musicvictoria.com.au. Music Victoria Awards, presented by PPS 106.7 and Triple R 102.7. Music Victoria is a 3CR supporter. This week is International Transgender Awareness Week and to celebrate this we're joined in the studio by Sasha Sidek, co-founder of Trans Sisters United, Trans Pride March Melbourne and board member of transfemi.com.au as well as host and producer of Queering the Air right here on 3CR. Sasha joins us this morning to talk about Transgender Awareness Week, the Trans Trans Pride March that took place in the city on Sunday, and the upcoming Trans Day of Remembrance vigil. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Thank you for having me this morning. Talking about climate change is so cold today, isn't it? Welcome back to winter. I know, it's freezing. <laughs> Absolutely freezing. It's so cold. I mean, like my puffer jacket again. I had to dig it out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, International Transgender Awareness Week began on Sunday the 13th of November and will run until the 19th of November. What's this week all about? This week is all about raising awareness, um, visibility, of course. Um, like last Sunday, um, I get to MC the Trans Pride March uh, 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 rally and it was such a great turnout. A lot of... People was there, a lot of trans... I wish there was a lot more allies was there. But you know what? This is our first year, so um, not many people know about it. But I think now the words has got around. And it was a very successful uh, event for... Um, for the organisers, definitely, because a lot of people turn out. And I just found out yesterday there's trans youth from Collect took a bus, a group of them took a bus and came to the event. That was pretty, yeah, that was pretty cool. It really shows how important it is, isn't it? Mm, it's really important to to just say that we belong, we, we're here. Uh, we're not hiding anymore. Exactly. 
And and on the day, what did you sort of feel like the atmosphere was like? You know what? I sometimes get really nervous when I do a, like public speaking, like a big group of people. But that day, I was so relaxed. I can just be myself. I stuff up a few words because of my Asian tongue, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, but they feel made me feel very welcome, and I I don't feel nervous at all. Um, I was. Yeah, I was like feeling really, really empowered uh, by by yeah by the audience um, that came to the rally that day. And what was it like marching together and standing outside Parliament House? Oh my God, you have no idea. That was that was um, like I said, empowering. Um, of course, we also got some um, anti-trans protesters on the side, so so um, we ignore them. But you know, me being me, I had to say something to them. <laughs> And record them and post it on social media. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, um, it was a very empowering. A lot of uh, people, the bystanders, um, who didn't know what was going on, they were recording us. They were like clapping for us, cheering us up, and yeah, that was uh, yeah empowering. That's the only word I can think of. Very empowering. That's so great, especially because you know those anti trans anti anything really. mm-hmm. like you have a protest and the anti version of that will show up um in melbourne yes <laughs> so we um, were ready for that we have the the best marshals we have the best volunteers and we also were working with jeremy and tim they are from the uh victorian uh, police force so they were there to help us out as well so yeah i know it's 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 a bit um you know we don't really like police in rallies most of the time, but this time we really need to because there's there's anti-protesters everywhere, especially for trans uh, for trans uh, people, and we do need to work with the police that day. So yeah, and, and we did feeling safe is so yeah. yeah 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 of course. And um, can you tell us a bit more about the Trans Day of Remembrance Vigil that's coming up on November 20? Yes, that will be, um, you know, after Trans Awareness Week, it will lead to Trans Remembrance uh, Day of, sorry, Trans Day of Remembrance. So um, that will be on the 20th of November at 5pm at the Yara Libraries on North Fitzroy. So I think people can get also um, tickets on evenbright.com or you can go to Transgender Victoria website um, slash event. Mm. Great. Yeah. Um, so Queering the Air actually posted a great photo from the march. It was a big banner that said, Trans Joy is radical. Can you tell us a bit more about this and what does Trans Joy mean for you? Well, I think I really love the idea that um, transness is a form of evolution, right? So uh, being the person who I know I am and um, and existing in a way that makes sense and... Um, that feels right for me, for me, I guess. Yeah. So um, it's figuring out a way to live life with integrity. You see, I'm telling you, I, I have this Asian tongue. I can't, I can't escape with this. But you get what I mean. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what trans joy means to me. It's about visibility, about um, being who I am and express myself in, um, in every ways. Mm. Yeah. And were you able to see a lot of that at the rally? Oh, yes. People came with, I saw one person even came with like um, a mascot, like uh, with the blue bird mascot. That was, yeah, that was so cute. But you know what? Over there, people dress up with all the glitters. It feels like Mardi Gras. Mm. Yes. So um, 
I come from Singapore. We always have to, being a trans woman, we always have to be, you know, possible. We have to be, um, pretend to be a cis woman. You, you can't tell people that you're a trans woman, you know. Being here, I can just express myself. I'm, because I'm a trout. Proud trans woman, mm-hmm. so I, I can be who I am. I can dress whatever I want, and I'm still people don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the difference between being here in Australia, in Melbourne, and uh, versus being in Singapore. That's so interesting. You say that we had um, an interview a few weeks ago with a trans activist in Singapore, mm-hmm. um, just about the section three seven seven being repealed yes, there. Yes, the reappeal. And yeah, that's exactly what he said. And he studied his undergrad here, yeah. and then went back to Singapore. And he said, you know, a lot of his friends as well, they just have to pretend to be cis men. Mm. Um, and you know, and they're all Indian background Singaporean. Yeah. And so he was telling me that, uh, and he was telling us on the radio, he was like, you know. A lot of the parents of if you're in a relationship with a cis woman, for example, a lot of the parents just don't know. Yeah, it is. Um, And it's also a culture thing as well, um, because, you know, you grow up and then you have to adapt discrimination and all the abuse. And you say like, oh, this is this is part of the process of being a trans because it's Singapore. I refuse to accept that. (laughs) And when I came here and then I start to learn about my trans rights and about myself, I said like, F that. Yeah, no, because I'm a human. You have to treat me like a human. As Especially being a trans woman in Singapore, we've been locked up so many times. I've been locked up so many times because just simply existing because your ID still say, if, if your ID still say male, yeah, you're like simply like illegal uh, to be existing in, in, on the street. So they will lock you up for one, one night and then release you. They do that so often, at, uh, especially with trans women um, in Singapore. Well, it's all the more reason that, you know, marches like the one on Sunday are extremely important. It's extremely important. A couple of other speakers are also um, uh, an immigrant here, and they were talking about, you know, get having a better life here. Thank God for sunglasses. I was tearing up because... <laughs> I was tearing up because um, it does... Um, it does... Yeah, because we, especially... Uh, trans women from Southeast Asia, we came here for a better future, for sure, because we'd never been treated right um, back home. So, um, yeah, that that speech really, yeah, yeah, touched my heart and I started crying. But yeah, thank God I can I can hide under those glasses yeah. <laughs> that Sunday. And what are your hopes um, for the future of the Trans Awareness Week rallies in in Melbourne? Um, you know what? We, I'm pretty sure, um, the organi- organizers already said it's going to be ha- happening again next year because it's such a great turnout, um, this year. Um, hopefully it's going to be a lot bigger next year. Um, we would love to see allies to come. Um, there was not enough allies that, that day, that Sunday. So we, um, yeah, because I think because of the weather as well, because it was unpredictable being Melbourne and thank God there was no rain at all that day. But, um, hopefully, um, next year we would love to see more allies, um, to come to, to the march. Yeah, and, and on that note, um, for people out there who do want to stand with the trans community and gender-diverse gender, gender diverse community, what would you like to see from allies? Just support. Um, just being there. I mean, you don't have to do much. Just, you know, your, your, uh, being there is already showed how much you support our community. You know, sometimes we don't ask much. We just want you to just be there and support us and march with us. Um, 
yeah, I think I think I think that's all we can ask for. We're not asking much at all. Mm. Yeah, well, Sasha, um, unfortunately, that's actually all we have time for this morning. But thanks so much for taking the time. No, thank you. Thank you for. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was Sasha Sidek speaking to us about International Transgender Awareness Week, which runs until November 19. To catch Sasha on the airways, make sure you tune into Queering the Air on Sundays from 3 to 4, right here on 3CR. There's kind of a lot of. A lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very, very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative, heteronormative family life, but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity. You know, it's around the family life in the suburb, as opposed to many, you know, single individuals who have shared queer family both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support you're listening to 3cr community radio 855 am on digital and online 3cr radical radio You're listening to 3CR 855 AM, the voice of the community. 3CR Community Radio, giving the voice to the community since 1976. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855 AM, tune in and listen up. Next up, we're going to play excerpts of interviews from the Indigenous Peoples Caucus at COP27, recorded by Indigenous Rights Radio, Cultural Survival, a non-profit group based in the US who were dedicated to defending the human rights of Indigenous peoples, conducted the interviews. Hello, Dasdile. Uh, I'm Pasang Dolma Serpa from Nepal, the former uh, co-chair of International Indigenous Peoples Forum on Climate Change. I was also the inaugural co-chair of the facility working group of local communities and indigenous peoples platform within the UNCCC. That was the historical moment for the establishment of the platform after 2015, uh, with the establishment of this platform with the decision of the COP21 in Paris. So this is a really historical benchmark for uh, raising our views and concerns and our issues uh, at the global forum, at the discourse of climate change within the UN platform. So we are really hopeful uh, that uh, our uh, elders who have been uh, carrying over since 1992 on the on the issues and concerns to be heard by the UN C that has been a little bit, uh, uh, you know, with a, with a positive outcome at the moment. And here in Samalsek, uh, in uh, COP27, we are really hopeful to amplify our voice and concerns that uh, in 
indigenous people's role and contribution has really big, uh, you know, a big benchmark for climate change solution. So we urge for the direct access of the fund to protect our knowledge, our cultural values, and uh, you know, our whole practices. Uh, that will be continued by the future generation. I am Joan Carling. I am a Kankanae from the Philippines, and I am an indigenous activist working with the Indigenous Peoples' Rights International. I've been participating in the COP or the ne negotiations on climate change in the past years, and indigenous peoples are engaging in this process because our rights are threatened to be violated, and in fact are violated by some of the solutions to climate change that are being proposed, as well as that our contributions as stewards of nature are not being recognized. Uh, so with that engagement, indigenous peoples are able to uh, facilitate the establishment of the local communities and indigenous peoples platform on traditional knowledge, which recognizes the contributions of indigenous peoples to climate change adaptation and mitigation using indigenous peoples' knowledge as equally important uh, as uh, scientific knowledge. So that is already a big uh, milestone or a milestone um, in the engagement of indigenous peoples in the climate change negotiations. However, on the other side, the violations of indigenous peoples' rights continue to happen. Uh, in fact, we're coming out with a report uh, we're showcasing the violations of indigenous people's rights in the just transition, uh, particularly with the transitional minerals where it, it gives a new mandate for more mining in the territories of indigenous peoples that will certainly violate our rights to our lands, territories and resources and, and free prior and informed consent. That's one. On the other hand, the drive also for conservation in the name of national parks is again a major threat of, of eviction because of the prevailing fortress conservation. So these are the critical issues. In addition to that is the lack of financial support for indigenous peoples to be able to cope and mitigate the impacts of climate change in our territories. So my expectation for this, uh, for, for this year is that uh, the, the states that have committed to provide funding for indigenous peoples should walk the talk deliver what you commit uh, because that is urgently needed that's one second is the, the the issue of the loss and damage that should be finally decided in this cup because many countries including my country in the philippines is suffering and we are not getting the, the global solidarity and support through loss and damage compensation for uh, that that should be the responsibility also of the rich countries uh, Sego Tanse Angel Levesque Brandt from Tainanega Mohawk Territory in Canada. Um, I'm with Indigenous Climate Action as the youth delegate. This is my first time at COP and I'm here representing all the Indigenous youth voices within Canada and within my group. We, This is my first time at COP so what I hope to bring to COP is 
representation from Indigenous youth. Um, within Canada, youth voices are often misrepresented or underrepresented. So to be able to be a youth in this space and to be able to speak and talk on behalf of the youth in Canada, um, this is a great opportunity. And um, I also want to bring to light Indigenous rights and sovereignty within Canada. So. Within my community, we really strive for clean drinking water. We really strive for just our voices being heard within climate justice movements. Frontline activists are currently on the lines defending our communities and Canada. So I'm, I'm really hoping to hear from other frontline activists here at COP and other Indigenous voices to see what they can bring. And hopefully we can all work together to have um, policy changed and to work on something together to better the climate. Hello, I'm called Aisha Tumanu. I'm coming from Cameroon. I belong to the Bororo Indigenous Pastoralist Community. And uh, basically, climate change climate change has really impacted on our lives, especially that of women and girls. Uh, we, we now uh, see uh, new diseases appearing within our communities that we never had before. The, we have lack of potable water in our communities. We have, uh, the, the, we, as pastoralists, we also have issues with the grazing. So our, pastor, our pasture is dying and our animals are also dying. So uh, we have lost of biodiversity, our forests are being destroyed as well. So uh, I would wish uh, for this COP for them to respect the pledge they took for COP26 and equally uh, give direct finances to indigenous organizations so that they can work at the grassroots level in order for them to change the narrative because we are the holders of knowledge and we are not involved in decisions when they are taken. So we urge the decision makers to ensure that indigenous voices are taken into consideration and that the aspect of loss and damage is also taken into consideration for us to ensure that right, uh, the rights of indigenous communities are respected. We just heard from delegates at the Indigenous Peoples Caucus at COP27. Pasang Dolma, a Sherpa, spoke about the history of COP27. Joan Carling on the need to recognise indigenous peoples as stewards of nature. Angel Levac Brandt spoke about how youth voices are often underrepresented, and Ashatu Manu from Cameroon spoke about how climate change affects the Bororo peoples. Thanks to Cultural Survival. You can check them out at rights.culturalsurvival.org. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Black Rock Band. Uh, this one is sung in Yolu Mata. It's Mojaki.
That was Mojo Key by Anna Malayan bass black rock band. So that brings us to the end of yet another show. Um, we had, of course, a jam-packed show this morning. Uh, we started off by speaking with feminist artist Kate Robinson, who has artwork in Queen Victoria Women's Centre's latest exhibition featuring feminist art artwork from more than 50 artists so definitely encourage all our listeners to check that out as it opened today uh, we then spoke with Monash uh, Business School Associate Professor Dominique Allen about a new report um, about understanding pregnancy discrimination in the workplace and Fung had a chat with Karen Fletcher who is an activist with the Homes Not Prisons campaign uh, speaking to us about the X. We then got to sit down with Sasha Sidek here in the studio speaking to us about the International Transgender Awareness Week um, and the rally that occurred on Sunday. And we heard excerpts of interviews from COP27 with delegates from different Indigenous communities around the world on the impacts of climate change. Um, just want to remind our listeners, don't forget to vote. Um, and as always, keep it locked to 3CR. We'll be back again next Tuesday at 7 a.m. If you or someone you know need help voting in this month's state election, you can ask a family member, carer, or one of our VEC election staff to help you complete your ballot papers. There's language assistance too. If you are blind, have low vision, or a physical disability and need help to vote, you can vote by telephone. For more information, visit vec.vic.gov.au or call 131-832. Your vote will help shape Victoria. Authorised by W. Gately, Electoral Commissioner, 530 Collins Street, Melbourne, Victoria. A 3CR supporter. Stay locked to 3CR. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.